Uh, there, there is much I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a, a big shock to anybody. I, I think we all saw this truth coming. There is a lot that I don't know. I actually uh, was helping out uh, at a training session. I just kind of popped in for a quick little Q&A. Uh, and and the, the training was for some ladies who are going to be working with uh, mothers in crisis, you know, so people who just got pregnant and trying to figure out what their options were. And, and at one point in kind of the presentation and just our conversation, we're talking about listening. And I, I was talking, you know, I'm sort of talking about how to listen well, and I, I look around at all these female faces looking back at me, and I almost paused, I, I did pause, but actually you guys could probably teach me quite a bit about this. There's a lot I don't know. Uh, and what's interesting is the more I get to know, the more I realize how little I know. I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar with the stick shift vehicle. I mean, most of us probably have, some of the younger ones, maybe you haven't seen one yet, but uh, it's basically a vehicle you, you can manually shift without the car doing it on its own, you have to do it yourself. There's an extra pedal, which is always fun to see someone experience the extra pedal for the first time. Uh, but when I was taught how to drive stick, uh, it was explained to me how the clutch worked, what was actually happening when I would push the pedal in so I would understand a little better about how to drive stick. And what's interesting is so I, I learned something and I gained that, but that again brought about more questions. Well, if that's how the clutch works, how does the transmission that puts the power to the wheels work? Well, how does the engine work, which is the powerhouse that gets the, you know, through the clutch through the transmission? And and I'm thinking, I'm sitting in the car, I'm like, what's the best way to drive stick? Like, what's the most efficient way to do this? Should I downshift or should I just, you know, pull out a gear and, and roll to a stop? And uh, wh where am I even going in the car? I, I don't know where I'm going. I, do I really need to be there? And, you know, all of a sudden I'm having existential questions about just learning how to drive stick, right? And we can realize that there's, there's so much that we don't know. I think part of this, uh, the, the reason we keep asking these questions, how we can get in these places, is because at heart, in some capacity or another, we're all inquisitive beings, right? We're, we're, we're creatures that want to know more. We, we want to explore. We want to uncover. We want to find meaning to life. And so we ask questions. We wonder why are things the way they are? And, and, and we take it a step further, personalize it. Um, what's my role in this? How, how do I fit into all this? Well, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be joined along with the 100, or not 100, uh, hundreds of other churches in the Chicagoland area, maybe even seeing billboards or signs or hearing commercials on the radio for Explore God Chicago. And if you want to find out more information, explorgod.com is the website. I encourage you to go on there. They've got some great resources. Um, but Explore God is about going through uh, the, the seven main questions, people who are exploring uh, who God is and, and trying to figure out faith um, are, are asking. And uh, so we'll be walking through these seven questions for the next seven weeks. If you also want to continue the discussion as we uh, begin a topic each week, uh, I would encourage you to connect into a home group. We have ones that meet on Monday night. Uh, there's a ladies group Tuesday night. There's another group Thursday night for everybody. And there's a, a Sunday morning one as well that will be walking through the discussions we have here on a Sunday morning. And so if you want to sign up for one of those, you can go online, meadowlandchurch.org, or use your, your uh, communication card in your bulletin. But I, I would encourage us all to continue in this conversation beyond Sunday. So as we dig into these seven questions, we're going to start with an easy one, right? We'll, we'll just get a, uh, a, a, an easy floater here. Uh, the question we're going to look at today is, what is the meaning of life? Easy one, right? Now, another way you could phrase it is, is does life have a purpose? And if it does, well, what is it? And how, how do I figure out what that looks like? What was the point of all this? Well, well many have asked this question before us and have pondered the possibilities. We're, we're not the first to ask this question. There's Russian author Leo Tolstoy 
uh, who asked this question, does life have purpose? And uh, it was interesting. I, I didn't know much about Tolstoy, and I kind of read up on him a little bit, and I began to see that uh, he, he lived uh, many different uh, kinds of lives. Let's put it that way. In his youth, he had a life of leisure, and he had a lot of opportunity and a lot of privilege uh, afforded to him, that, and he, he kind of lived in that reality. Uh, but then it also came to the point where he was serving in the military and, and, and sacrificed time and, and just all that goes into uh, military service, and he witnessed war firsthand. And that really shook him, and that caused him to contemplate different aspects of life. And so he's experienced leisure and prosperity. He's experienced war and loss. And he's experienced hard work and, and sacrifice. And, and, and later in his years, he, he uh, kind of wanted to reject his previous way of, of leisure and, and live more of a sacrificial, simplistic lifestyle, uh, helping to care for others. And, and Leo, uh, I say Tolstoy, I'm not sure if, Leo, if he and I are on first name basis yet, but Tolstoy leaves us this quote as he's kind of seeking out meaning. Then what is life for? To die? To kill myself at once? No, I am, I am afraid. To wait for death till it comes, I fear that even more. Then I must live, but, but for what? In order to die? He, he's seen the finality of life. Even as he says, okay, well, if life is meant to be lived, well, then what do I do when I die? You know, does it come to this point where it's going to come to an end? What is the purpose and meaning in all this? And it's so important to know our purpose, right? It's important to know because uh, it helps us to decide all that follows in life. Understanding our purpose can help us with many great things. If we understand our purpose in life, if you're at a point where you're transitioning either from high school into college or you're, you're, you're getting ready for that, you're thinking that way, um, or, or maybe you're, going to a, you're thinking about going to a new field of study or a new field uh, of work, having a, a grasp of our purpose in life can help inform the decisions that we make. Maybe you're, you're in a relationship or, or taking steps forward in one that uh, you've been in for a while, and you're, you're having conversations about uh, what does the future look like for this relationship. Have one of those DTR, defining the relationship moments. And maybe uh, you're already further along, and, and, and marriage is a conversation. Or maybe having kids and bringing kids in that, that relationship is a conversation. Where you land on that, if you know your purpose in life, that's going to inform the decisions that you make. Purpose must be considered a, as we use the resources afforded to us. I don't know if we often think of time as a resource, but we've all been given a finite amount of time on this earth. We don't know how much that is, but we know that at some point it comes to an end on this earth. And so how we use that time really should be informed by our purpose. And we don't understand our purpose. We can kind of feel like we're just floating along and life just keeps moving. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter how many stopwatches I start or stop or how many clocks I change, time has yet to stop. It just keeps on going. How we use our resources of, of time, of finances, of, of opportunity. If we know what our purpose is, it informs how we can use those different things. I'm going to give you an example of, of purpose. I got my back pocket here, a tool called a five-in-one. I, I believe this is a five-in-one. It actually might be a six-in-one because it has a, a, a steel bottom to it. If you go to the store looking for one, if you want one after this sermon to hang on your wall as a reminder, maybe that's kind of weird, but I wouldn't recommend it. But if you want to go do some drywall work, you can buy one. But uh, they have ones like a 12-in-1, and they, they, they try to jam as many different tools as you can into this. But this one here we're going to call it as a five-in-one. And its five purposes are a paint scraper on the end here for scraping off uh, flaky paint, uh, for spreading mud, drywall mud, and you can only get so much because it's only so wide, but you use kind of that same edge, it's, it's dual purpose. You got this little point on the end. Anyone know what that's for? 
you know what glazing is? Old windows used to have like the glazing you would stick in to get the glass to sit in. And so on older homes, sometimes you got to take that out and put new windows. That's, that's a glazing remover, or it's even big out caulk with that. Uh, again, dual purpose. That also is working if you have a crack in your drywall. You actually want to dig it out first and then repair. And so this is used for digging out the cracks. And then this little curve right here, I'm curious if everybody knows what that's for. I can't tell you how often I use one of these. I have no idea what that curve is for. I think it's like a little fashion statement. They're paint rollers. This is how you clean paint out of a paint roller. Those, some of you are like, you use those again? I just use them and throw them away. You can actually clean out a paint roller with that curve there by just get, putting another water and, and, and running that through. It'll get most of that paint out. But so that is called a five-in-one, and, and that is made with a purpose. Th th there's an engineer who designed this, who laid it out. Uh, may maybe it was a, a sales trick by giving it more and more purposes. Um, but you can use this in ways that it wasn't intended. But every time I've done that, I've, I've broken mine. This is not my first five-in-one. Uh, uh, whether they're reinforced or not, you know, if I'm drywalling or painting or doing something, I come across a nail pop, a nail that's kind of sticking out further than it should. I'll just take the butt of it and kind of tap it in. And I will use this as a hammer. Now, if I need to build something where I need a lot of hammering, I'm not going to grab this because that's not the purpose it was designed for. I'll go grab a hammer. And if I do grab this, it's probably the last time I'll grab it because it, I'll, I'll break it and destroy it and I have to go buy another one. But it has purpose. It was designed. And, and when we understand its purpose, man, how much more can we accomplish when we use it when it's living in its purpose? You see, purpose sets the destination and it lays the foundation for the life that follows. I mean, imagine your life as a journey. To know your purpose is to know where you're going. It's okay, I, I know the destination, and, and it lays that foundation, because okay, and here's how we're going to get there. Still a long journey ahead, and it, but by knowing your purpose, it lays it, sets that destination and lays the foundation of how to get there. So the question we want to ask is, does life have purpose? Well, I think to truly answer this, we need to acknowledge the fact that what we believe about our origins, I think, speaks a lot to do we have a purpose or not. And I'm, I'm going to boil it down to two camps. I know every time you do that, maybe it's, you know, you might have some outliers. But for the most part, I think we can all fall into two camps. The first camp is those who would say, uh, we've been made on purpose with purpose. That there is a creator, that there's a maker, there's a, a designer who put us together. And we can disagree on the how. How did that actually happen? How did that take place? We can disagree on the how long did that take. Was it thousands? Was it millions? Was it billions? Was it trillions? Was it a day? Who knows? Um, we can disagree on the how it happened. We can disagree on the how long it took. We can even disagree some on the who. We have maybe different understandings or different beliefs on, on, on who, uh, let's call it God, on, on who God is. But in this camp, we're going to find commonality in those who say there is a designer who made mankind. In whatever way it happened, there is a designer, there, there is one, a, a maker who made. And, and when we understand that, when that is our, our belief of how things came about, how this world was created, it leads us to the conclusion that, yes, life has a purpose. Because like the five and one in my back pocket, when things are made, they're made for a reason. And that, that, that's really the definition of purpose, right? Something that, that was made for a reason. There's, there's a point behind it. Now, that point might be noble or ignoble. That point might be humble or it might be uh, a stately. That, that, that point might be simple or complex. might be easy to see or hard to understand. You can look at that scraper and see, okay, this is meant for scraping paint, but I don't know what the rest of that stuff is. But it doesn't change the fact that it was made 
on purpose with purpose. If mankind was made on purpose, then we've been made with purpose. So if you believe that there is a designer that made mankind, that would lead us to the answer to the question, does life have purpose? Yes. End of sermon. You can go home. Thanks for coming. It's been a great morning together. Please stay. We've got more fun stuff. But that, that answers the question if that's all you were hoping to get. So we have camp two. Camp two, some of you may be in camp two. You may know some people who are in camp two. Camp two, we're going to say they're the people who believe we're here by chance. That everything came to be through happenstance and accidentally resulted in the reality you see before you. I think one of the common beliefs of this uh, uh, camp is, is that they, they look to time. One time I, I was sitting playing cards. Actually, I wasn't even playing cards. We are just dealing cards. We were, my dad lives on a houseboat down in Georgia. Um, actually, he's in South Carolina now. North Carolina. Wait, he's on a boat in a lake. You know, there's a bunch of states that touch it. <laughs> but uh, we're out playing cards, and we're literally just dealing five cards to each person, one, two, three, you know, around the, going around the circle, and um, dealt a, a, a straight flush. Ace, king, queen, jack, ten, all the same suit. No wilds, no nothing, just dealing cards, and it came up. What's interesting about statistics, though, do you know what the odds are of getting that hand versus any other potential hand you could have gotten? Exactly the same. You're going to get five cards one way or another, and the chance of getting those five cards, if there's no other variables involved there, is statistically exactly the same that you'll get that hand versus another hand. But that hand looks like it has intentionality and design, and so it stands out to us and looks kind of cool. We say, okay, wow, I can't believe I got this hand. And and so those in the, the, the camp of chance would say, given enough time, you put all these things together, you're going to get the reality that you have before us. In the same way you deal enough hands, eventually you're going to get the one that looks like what we're trying to make. But see, I think as we grow to understand our world and our universe, as we begin to see the apparent fine-tuning that's in it, as we begin to see its complexity in its design, I think it cries out for and demands a better answer than chance. If I go back to my, my card example of dealing cards until you get to a full, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to a, a royal flush. I may have called it a full house before. Any card players may. Apologies. But I think a better example than just dealing cards to get to a royal flush is like maybe by chance you're saying, if I keep dealing the cards and everyone gets five cards, I keep dealing, eventually someone's going to get purple. How do we get to purple? From, uh, I, but I think that's the crowd, a better, so oversimplified, a better example of just waiting on chance where if we just put a bunch of stuff together, all of a sudden it's going to move to a place of design and purpose and, and, and complexity. If mankind was made by chance, then there's, there's no purpose to life because there's no reason behind it. If it just kind of happened, then there's no reason, there's no purpose behind it. If you find yourself in camp two, first of all, please hear me in this. We are so glad you're here. That doesn't scare us. That doesn't make us say, oh, you, you think differently. You know, no, I say, hey, we're glad you're here. We love you. We'd love to get to know you more. If there's other ways in which you think differently, the same sentiment is extended. We're glad you're here. We welcome you back. If you're in camp two, I ask you to, uh, invite you to keep asking questions together. Not just asking questions in your own journey, but asking questions together with other people, the people sitting right next to you perhaps even, because in answering and asking those questions and sorting through that, if we're truly willing to seek what is true, then that will move us all towards a a clearer picture, a better picture of truth. And the more I've done that, the more I've been willing to engage with questions I'm not sure I have the answer to, but I'm willing to walk that road, then God has shown himself that much more clearly to me.
And I've grown in my walk as well. So please don't stop asking questions. The other thing I would ask is, would you join us again? If you're in camp too, you may enjoy next week. We'll be talking about, is there a God? You may also enjoy week five. We're going to be talking about, is Jesus really God? And so as you unpack those, those may answer and may, may engage with some questions that you already have. And so I would invite you to, to join us back. But see, as some consider camp two more and more, they sometimes come to a different conclusion. You know, they began this conclusion of chance. They, they come to a conclusion of a designer. My, my, my wife likes this one podcast. Uh, it's called the Brent and Sherry uh, Oddcast. Uh, Brent Hansen is, is his name. And um, he, he was talking about this, about people who are just uh, uh, searching for origins and, and beginnings. And, and they, they, they believe it was by chance. But people have an easier time sometimes believing that, well, it was aliens that began everything here on earth instead of uh, a God because, you know, they don't want to uh, submit themselves to a, a God who is creator. And so they say, well, maybe it was just aliens. But then you can play out those same questions, with, you know, continue that we ask of ourselves. Where did they come from? Where is their beginning? It brings us back to this place where I think the more we look at Camp 2, it's going to ultimately lead us to a place of a designer, of a maker. The other thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll move on from this point, is the very fact that we ask big questions about life, I think ultimately the more we explore that, moves us to camp one, that there is a maker, there is a designer that's made us. You may disagree on the boundaries of it, but I think most people you would talk to agree that we have morality. A a as a, a race, a as a, a creation, as human beings, we acknowledge the existence of morality, right? People would say there, there's a sense of justice, there's a sense of right and wrong. I'm sure you've had moments in your life where you heard about something, you saw a story, you witnessed something with your own eyes, you even maybe did it yourself, but at some point you had experience where you stopped and said, this is wrong. That should never happen. Or it should never happen again. If you never had a moment like that, I encourage you to just Watch the news for a little while and you'll see those stories. We just saw a story, a, a, an amazing story, uh, of a girl who's been missing for three months. We brought this one up in Wisconsin. They just found her alive. And that's the beautiful part of the story. But the part that's just wrong is, is her captor had basically sought her out, murdered her parents, and kidnapped her. And, and, and she's been, uh, in, you know, he's basically kidnapped her for these past three months and held against her will. And you hear stories like that, and you're like, that, that's wrong. That should never happen. You've also seen stories on the other side where you hear a story or an experience and maybe you live through something yourself. You're like, this is just good. This is so good. I shared this before, but for me, those moments are, as I stood at the, the, the experience of birth of my own children, they have, get, get to have those first moments of their life, you know, the, their first little sponge shower, kind of washing all the, the, the you know, cleaning them up and, and holding them and snuggling them. And one of the, one of the you know, Facebook pops up videos from that you've posted in the past. The one that popped up this morning is when my oldest daughter, who's now nine, was three, and my middle daughter, who's now six, was just born. She's probably about one year old. And they're just playing together and giggling, and the joy, I'm just, I'm like, that is just good. But as we see these things that are right and wrong, good and bad, it, it, sometimes these things even defy logic, right? You can see someone who will go to a place of self-sacrifice, well, they will put themselves in, in, in a difficult or even dangerous position for the sake of someone else. Logically, that doesn't play out. But moralistically, it does. And so we have to ask the question, where does this morality come from? 
our intrinsic shared sense of morality, I think, points to a moral law giver, one who establishes what is right and what is wrong. I know there's, there's, we could get to the fine points of it, and we may have some disagreements on, on what is right or what is wrong, but if we step back and take a general view, I think we all agree that there is right and wrong. There is morality, which points us to a moral law giver. We'll say the rest of that for next week and for week five as well. But the question I want to spend the rest of our time looking at here is if we are made by a maker on purpose, then yes, life has purpose. And so what is that purpose? What, what is that purpose for us? I would imagine most of us are probably familiar with Jeff Bezos. And if you don't know him, you probably know his company, Amazon. He is the founder and CEO of Amazon. And um, recently, he, I don't know exactly what point he hit this title, uh, but he's seen as the wealthiest man in the world. Last year, in mid-year, uh, his, he was valued at about $150 billion, with the B, dollars. Uh, he's recently made the news because him and his wife are going through a divorce. Um, I think now he's somewhere around the $130-plus billion. Uh, when you have that much money and that much stock, uh, the stock market can uh, add or subtract quite a bit of your fortune in a moment's notice. But with that kind of money, I, I don't know Jeff. I've never met him. I, I don't know what kind of life he leads. But he could really have opportunity where it's the most dangerous thing he lives. If he said, hey, let's have dinner in France tonight. My favorite restaurant's over in France. Let, let's go have dinner there. If you had those kind of funds, you could go and buy the ticket and do it. And then say you found out, oh, they don't have any flights going tonight. Okay, let's go buy the private jet. And you find out there's no private jets for sale right now. You could buy the manufacturing company that makes the private jets to make you one to get you there in time to go have dinner in France. That's the kind of crazy money that he's dealing with. He has all these funds available to him. If he wants to discover life's purpose, then he may be on this quest. Again, I don't know, but he has the funds to test out the options. He can look for meaning and leisure or just do nothing all day and experience just the, the, the best leisure this world has to offer. If you want to experience folly and festivity and just par- have, have parties all the time, if you want to ex- find purpose in, in the work of his hands, the things he could create, he could buy up businesses and try to improve them or flip them. He could try to invent different things. He could just go and do whatever he wanted. If he wanted to find purpose in wealth, he could try to find all sorts of different ways to acquire that. Take some of that stock and turn it into uh, uh, cash or gold or treasures or gems or art. He could just seek that out. He has the means. And he could just spend time acquiring knowledge, spend time reading, spend time learning as much as he can. Now, at the end of the day, I, I don't know if he's seeking that out, but in one sense, that there was one who had a similar situation as Jeff. This was King Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. And Solomon had more wealth than anyone who had ever lived. At that point, we're also told he had more wisdom and knowledge than anyone else at that point in history. And he was king, and so there was no one who would tell him no. And so here is someone who sought purpose, and he wanted to find out what is the meaning of life, and he had all this available to him, and so he tried everything. If you spend time flipping through Ecclesiastes, you see that story as, as he walks through all those things I just listed that Jeff would have the ability to walk through if he wanted to. He sought purpose in pleasure and folly and festivity. He sought purpose in the work of his hands, building and creating and, and, and managing these large uh, things that he would create for his, his city. He would seek acquiring wealth and gold and jewels and flocks and herds of animals. As Solomon searched for meaning in life, he tested everything, and he always comes back to this conclusion. It's all vanity. 
know they can translate the same words. It's all but a breath. It's a mist. It's momentary. It's there, and then it's gone. And so that acknowledgement, that realization brings him to this place where he just says, okay, so enjoy it while it lasts. Find pleasure in your toil. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13, he says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, referring to mankind, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so as he's exploring purpose, he says, okay, one purpose is just enjoy life. Enjoy the life because it's here and then it's gone. But if you read the other passages around that, both before and after that chunk, I think he takes it further. He further understands who his creator is, who his maker is, and his, his vision expands beyond the finite life. In verse 9, he says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You see, he put eternity in, in, in man's heart. So we have this, this sense for something eternal, even though he hasn't given us the understanding and knowledge to, to see all of that in its entirety. Verse 14 continue, continues, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor is anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Two things that I want to pull out of this that, that we can see. First is that God makes everything beautiful in its time. I, I think if we were to unpack this a little bit, we begin to see how it is God who imparts purpose. It is God who gives meaning. And in his time, God can work all things to be beautiful. It's kind of like the life that springs up in the forest after fire rages through it. It's kind of those stories you hear of people who said, hey, I, I was laid off and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Sure, it was difficult in that moment, but after being laid off, I, I went and I started my own business and, and looked at all these opportunities that, that have come since then. Or I think of it this way. Think about the fact that we are, are, are broken sinners who are saved by grace when we trust in Jesus. And, and God would take someone like us and use us to impact someone else's life. Would use us to impact the world would use us for his will. And I stop and think about that. Man, God, you are right. You turn all things beautiful in your time. That begins to unpack this, that God is the giver of meaning. And it continues, says, God gives us a vision, a longing for something eternal. He puts eternity in our hearts. What that means is that we are hungry for something that is more than finite. And this explains why. Have you experienced in your life moments where you're like, everything is going awesome? My relationships are rocking it. If you're married, you say that my marriage is awesome. My kids have been obedient and listening and helpful and everything I want them to be. I just got a raise at work. My neighbors just said, hey, do you want my house? I, I don't know. Crazy stuff is happening. All these good things are, are just going on. But then there still comes a point where even in the midst of that, you're like, okay. It was good. It was great. I love it all. But there's got to be more. If you haven't experienced that in some small part, I'm sure we know people who, who would confirm that in their own journeys. Ask them about those times in their life that they would say, these are some of the high points of my life, and see, were you fully satisfied? And if they say yes, say, are you still? And they may come forward, well, I guess, no, I'm not. And it's because all these things in this finite world are vain. They're but a breath. That's what he's talking about. 
They're here a moment, and then they're gone. Because God's put eternity on our hearts. A finite purpose will never fully satisfy an infinite longing. A finite purpose will never fully satisfy an infinite longing. And so if we never seek something that is infinite, if we never seek eternity, if we never go to that place to find our purpose rooted in that, you will always be left, I will always be left unsatisfied. There might be moments of joy, moments of temporary satisfaction. We say, yes, this is good. And then the breath passes. Because we were made with eternity in our hearts, a longing for more than this world. Solomon understands this. He understands that while God makes all things beautiful, God is the redeemer of all things, that God is also eternal, whose ways are higher. And it leads him to this point, the very end of his, his book, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I think sometimes it's confusing when he says fear God, but the understanding of what's being communicated here is this this awe and reverence, this acknowledgement of the power and the sovereignty of God. It's like if you stand before a lion, you could, and say you were guaranteed that this lion cares for you and loves you, there's still a sense in which you know this is a lion, you know what they're, what they're capable of. And so even in the midst of full love, there's this appropriate level of fear, this awe and reverence. So Solomon's saying, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is the purpose of life. If you want to understand this a touch more, I want, I want to jump ahead to Matthew. This is chapter, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 is where we're going to be. <coughs> There's something that Jesus says. So Jesus is uh, with some of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of his day, and they were trying to, to catch him. They're always trying to trap Jesus. They want to get him to say something that they could twist to make it look like he was being blasphemous or being sinful. They say, oh, you're not the Messiah because the Messiah wouldn't have sinned. And he sees it every time, and he, steps in and he you know, rises above their trap. So they basically say, all right, Jesus, what is the most important law? Out of all the laws, all the commands that God has given us, over 600 of them in the Old Testament, out of all that God has spoken, what is the most important? Thinking if he picks one out, they're going to say, what about all these other ones? And Jesus says this, he sums it all up. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. They didn't ask for a second. He's like, I, I got your attention now. Let me, let me give you a second one. The first one is this, love God with all that you have. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything that we have recorded in the Old Testament, he's saying, sums up in this, to love God and to love others. This is purpose. This is why we are made. This is what God calls us to, to go and live a life of loving him and loving others. To love him is to glorify him and to praise him. We see in Isaiah 43, 7, that we are made to glorify God. We see in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We are made to live for the glory of God and for the good of others, to love others. So what's this look like? Well, it begins with a relationship with Jesus. It begins with a relationship with Jesus. See, in our actions, in our lives, and the things that we've done, whether small or large, in some way we've all fallen short. 
We've all missed the mark of what God would have for us. We've all, as Christian Paul said, we've all sinned against God. And that sin separates us from a perfect and holy God. And, and it breaks that relationship. You see, as you go through the, the creation account in Genesis, that Adam and Eve were in the garden with God in, in physical rela- proximity with God. There's this, this close relationship they had together. But then sin enters the picture, and there's a separation between them and God. And God, knowing this, made a way to deal with that sin, and that's found in Jesus. That Jesus was, was an ultimate sacrifice, that his bloodshed would be sufficient enough because he was God, because he was perfect, because he did not deserve death, yet laid down his life for our sake, that when we trust in him and we say, Jesus, I believe you are God, I believe that your sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for my sin. When we trust in Jesus, our sin is forgiven. It actually goes on Jesus, and he pays the price. He paid the price at the grave, and he overcame the grave as well and defeated it. And we take on his righteousness, the best prayer we've ever made. So when we trust in Jesus, we are made righteous. And, and, and that's the first step. What does this look like to love God and love others? It begins with a relationship with Jesus. If you've not trusted in Jesus, let that be your first step today. If you're not ready to make that decision today, let that be what, what invades your mind all week, all month. Discover what is it that keeps you from trusting in Jesus. What are the questions you have? And then let's talk about those. Or find someone you can talk with. Because the first step of living in our purpose begins with a relationship with Jesus. And it continues in a relationship with Jesus. I think we, we forget that sometimes. That's what I'm talking about the past two weeks. We had some amazing uh, speakers come up here, and Mike Grayski as well. And um, I'm, for those who were here last week, Mike and I were kind of giving some stabs back and forth. So I love you, Mike. You did a great job. So the past two weeks, we had people sharing their story. What did life look like after Christ? After they came to a relationship with Jesus, how did they live their life, and what did that look like as they were walking with him? <coughs> And so a life of loving God begins with Jesus and continues with Jesus. As we live a life of submission, repentance, and obedience to him, we see life change taking place. And that looks like living for the good of others and the glory of God. See, the challenge that I see so often, though, is that many claim to believe in a personal relational God that they have personally no relationship with. Many claim to believe in a personal relational God that they personally have no relationship with. Author of the Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning, says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their life. See, we can claim that God exists and that we were made with purpose. We can say, yes, there is purpose in life. Yet all too often, and this is home for myself as well, this is convicting for myself as well, how often do we live as if God doesn't exist? When we walk out these doors, when we go back uh, to our, our homes, to where we spend our weeks, are we living in the truth that God exists, or do we just fall back into old ways? This 5 and one has been in my pocket for the whole sermon. We already talked about how it's made its purpose, but in, in the, the time I've been up here, it's been unused in the purpose it was made for. Imagine this sermon represented a lifetime. And I am wrapping up, so if it feels like a lifetime, my apologies that we're almost done here. Uh, but imagine it represents a lifetime, and, and this thing that was made with purpose just sat in the back pocket the whole time. So it's one thing to be made with purpose, but then are we truly living in that reality? 
And so as we understand our purpose is to love God and love others, the next question we have to ask is, how am I truly living in that reality? Because purpose sets the destination where we're going, and it lays the foundation for the life that follows. Man, how many times do we just sit down and do nothing? Instead of walking that road and going to that destination of a life that is lived with God. One of the ways we talk about this here at Meadowland is living for the good of others and the glory of God. That's loving God and loving others. Our lives should be one that does just that, that love God and live for his glory and love others by living for their good, wanting to make Jesus known. I think sometimes when we think about this, though, it can be intimidating, right? I don't know if you've ever thought this. I have. I thought this exact thing. I thought, I can't change someone's life. I can't do it. There's parts of my own life I want to change that I keep failing at. So how can I change someone else's life? Here's the thing. It's not our job. It's not our purpose. What, what part of our purpose in our conversation, and what we heard here this morning, was changing someone's life? It was. It was love God and love others. And if anything, all the life change was on his part. As God brings about forgiveness, as God brings about redemption, as God brings about the grace that he pours out on us, that we are going from unrighteous to righteous. God is the one who changes lives. And so as we think about our purpose of loving God and loving others, don't get so caught up that you fear that I can't do this because I can't change someone's life because that's not your job. Your job is to love others. One of the ways we talk about that here at Meadowland is to live a life of service to others where you're thinking about others and how do, how do you show them love in the way that you live? How do you show them Jesus that you know by the way that you live your life. A couple quick things I want to close with. Start with start at the beginning of this journey. Start to pray. If you're not grown in a personal relationship with him, if you've been living a life where you claim that you believe in purpose uh, given to you by God but have not taken any steps in a relationship with him, let that be your first step. Even on your communication card, there's a place you can check, hey, today's the first time I, I trusted in Jesus, or hey, I want to grow in that walk, help me. And we can be praying for you. We can contact you and, and help you figure out some next steps. We can help you connected into a home group of other people who are on a similar journey as you and help you walk through together with each other. But maybe your, your first step is just beginning with God. How can you grow in that walk with him, spending time with him? Maybe your next step is living intentionally, where you look for opportunities or you even create opportunities in your life to love others. A great question I like to ask is, how can I pray for you? If you want to say, how can I have more uh, spiritual conversations with you? How can I live for the good of others that I, I can share Jesus with them? Just ask how you can be praying for them. Some, I, I, I've never had someone say, nope, don't pray. They might, and that's okay. We can be respectful of that. Probably the, the most kind of standoffish I've got with someone who said, well, how about you pray for someone else in my life? Just pray for them. I'm, okay, I can do that. And it opens up the door to some spiritual conversations. It shows that you care. And, and if you ask this question, can I pray for you? And they say, sure, here's how you can pray for me. You know what the next step is? Pray for them. And it sounds silly, but how many times have you done that if this has been a part of your life already? You say, I'll pray for you in that. And then all of a sudden, like three days later, they call you up. Thanks for praying. Here's how it came out and here's what happened. You're like, oh, i got to pray for you on that. I forgot. Just in that moment, just pray with them right then and there. If they're weirded out by that, then, um, you know, double down, pray louder. I don't know. <laughs> or, or as soon as they go, then you can pray in that moment. But live intentionally. Look for opportunities. Ask, how can I pray for you? And if someone says, if you start having that spiritual conversation and they're asking questions you don't know how to answer, 
be honest about that. I don't know. Let's go find out. Let's search together. Share your reason that you follow Jesus. Why do you love Jesus? Share your reason for him. What's your story? Lord, just look for opportunities to serve, just to meet someone else's need. Look to your neighbor. How can I help? How can I walk with them if they want to love God and love others? So start at the beginning with God. Live intentionally. Live local with a global perspective. I think sometimes when we think about living for God and loving others, or loving God and loving others, we think, okay, do I need to be a missionary who's sent out into the world? And the answer is yes. But the world is here too. This is the world, right? And so we've got to live locally. It, I love this verse in, in, in um, the Great Commission, when we're sent, we're sent to go, wherever you go. The true understanding of what Jesus is saying to his disciples there is wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, that yes, you are sent to the ends of the earth, but you're also sent here at home, everywhere you go. So begin local, but also have a global perspective, whether it's connecting into a, a short-term trip to go to Haiti, like the trip the team that's going to Haiti, or if it's other places in the world, or to go live overseas for years of your life or the rest of your life as a missionary and make that home, or just to be a missionary here at home, live locally wherever local is for you as you live for the good of others. Let me just leave you with this. Yes, there's purpose in life. And that purpose is found in God. And to live a life apart from Him takes all meaning away from you. And so if you are longing for purpose in life, if this message left you unsatisfied because you wanted something more specific, Steve, just tell me what to do next week. I don't know. Start with God. Seek His will. Love Him and love others. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you made us. We thank you that in creating us that you give us purpose. And that you make that purpose clear in Scripture. To love you, to know you, to submit to you, and to love others. Father, for some of us, this may be a, a, a common message that we've heard. But I pray you would help us to hear it afresh. There'd be a new way that you would convict us, uh, a new journey you want to take us on, a, a next step, an area of our life that we've yet to change, we've yet to submit and surrender to you. Help us to see that aspect of our life where we're living as if you don't exist. And help us to be humbled by that and to surrender our lives to you. And for others, this may be the first time we're hearing a message like this. Help us to have soft hearts, to hear from you, Jesus. Make yourself known to us. And help us to take that step of faith of trusting in you for forgiveness. To begin that relationship with you that begins in that moment and lasts for all eternity. Satisfy our souls and our longing for eternity, Father, as only you can. And so we look to you, we love you, and we will love others as we pray this morning.